All right, we are back. Let's just do some miscellaneous topics to close out the program. Uh, we, we mentioned a moment ago that having Internet service providers uh, retain addresses so that uh, law enforcement officers can snoop without a search warrant wasn't such a good idea. And in that, we agree with uh, the New York Post, a News Corp publication. I also find myself in agreement with Bruce Myman, who writes regular editorials for the Sacramento Bee. Bruce has previously been a radio personality on the conservative KFBK in Sacramento. So I don't really know how often I agree with him. I never really used to listen to him, frankly, but he's right on this point. Bruce Ryman wrote in the Sacramento Bee a couple months ago, don't get mad at the Supreme Court in relation to the order that California prisons must debulk and reduce their overcrowded condition. Myman says, blame this fiasco on California's lawmakers. To please voters, they've instituted ever tougher anti-crime policies that put more and keep more and more people in jail, while ignoring the reality that these policies require the construction of expensive new prisons. When we incarcerate someone in California, we're putting them up at 40000 a year. Of course, on the other hand, I am concerned, as perhaps you should be concerned as well, that Letting out tens of thousands of people from prison is going to mean, well, probably more potted plants stolen off our front yards. All right, we're going to be truly miscellaneous in this segment. I mentioned uh, for the past few weeks that I found a, a trove of materials out in the garage related to the production of this show a few years back, and I had to note with um, some wistfulness the copy of the Weekly World News that I retained from 2003. This would have been from five months after the initiation of hostilities in Iraq. And so big a joke was it at this point about Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction that the front page of the Weekly World News said, Found at last! Saddam's weapons of mass destruction! Killer dinosaurs! And on the cover, next to uh, various uh, military vehicles and, and, and soldiers, was what looks like a velociraptor. The subheadline was, Madman built evil Jurassic Park, and Bush knew it. By the way, I want to thank Gary for sending us an email last week, uh, which is to the credit of the McClatchy organization. This came from the McClatchy Washington Bur- Bureau, an article by Dennis Jett, commenting upon the fact that in England... They're investigating the, uh, the process by which the U.K. got involved in the fiasco in Iraq, which is something America seems to have no interest in doing. To quote from Dennis Jett, It's been observed for at least a century that England and America are two nations separated by a common language. Today there's another difference. England's interested in finding out how it came to participate in an unnecessary, illegal, and immoral war, while America's not. Two years ago, the British government set up the the Chilcot Inquiry, a commission charged with investigating how that country became involved in the invasion of Iraq, what went wrong, and how the response to a similar situation in the future could be more effective. After numerous public hearings, the inquiry's final report is being written and will be published in the next few months. The conclusions of the draft report have started to leak out and were covered extensively in the British media last week. That story was not considered worth mentioning by American newspapers, however. According to the British press, the report concludes that former Prime Minister Tony Blair is responsible for four main failings. 
He asserted it was beyond a doubt that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction when the intelligence supported no such conclusion. He claimed to have not made up his mind about the war when he'd already secretly pledged to President Bush in the summer of 2002 that Britain would participate. He kept his cabinet ministers in the dark about his war plans, and he had no plans to deal with the chaos that ensued after the fighting stopped. Unlike Britain, in the U.S., there's been no serious efforts to examine the war in depth. The piece goes on to note, the war was unnecessary because Saddam Hussein had no WMDs, and he wasn't going to get any because the U.N. inspectors were doing an effective job. The war was illegal because, as the legal experts in the British Foreign Office concluded, it was against international law. Bush used violations of Security Council resolutions to justify invading Iraq. He never bothered to ask the U.N. for the authorization that would have legitimized the invasion, however, because he knew he couldn't get it. For more information, we refer you to this piece by Dennis Jett, described as former U.S. Ambassador to Mozambique and Peru. He is a professor at Penn State School of International Affairs. I want to note uh, some good news, that uh, thanks to Jody Foster and a few others, the SETI program is again listening to the skies. Yes, apparently the Allen Telescope Array, located near Mount Shasta, was shut down last April when the SETI Institute ran short of money to keep listening. But it turns out the nonprofit uh, says that the $210,000 raised this summer will allow the radio antennas to be turned back on by September. And the article by Paul Rogers, San Jose Mercury News, reprinted in the B, quotes Seth Shostak, previous Radio Parallax guest, who is the senior astronomer at the SETI Institute, saying, My reaction is gratification and astonishment. Economic times are tough, but people still think this very fundamental question, is there somebody out there as intelligent or more so than us, is important and worth doing. Also from the garage file of papers, I just want to make passing mention of one item I was looking at, which shows a contemporaneous photo of the debris found at Roswell back in 1947. And I just have to laugh at how apt the quote from some person, I can't remember who it was, some wag that said, well, it really was not so much an uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft that crashed, but probably an extraterrestrial kite. Because these paper-thin bits of what looks like mylar certainly don't look like anything could get an extraterrestrial here to Earth from the Zeta Reticuli system. I have no doubt that, the, that there's some screwball angles to this whole story of the, uh, the so-called crashed flying saucer, but um, I think it's pretty clear in the end that it really wasn't actually a crashed alien flying saucer. And a final item for the show, we were talking in last week's program about some, well, let's just say disinformation related to the military. In this case, we were discussing... Um, some things about the battle to find hidden Soviet subs out on the high seas that, well, well, just involved a lot of folklore and misinformation, some disinformation. But I want to I want to end this program with a with a straight up story. It's fascinating and comes to us from the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader series. They had one new volume out t- titled "The Bathroom Reader Salutes the Armed Forces," and they had a specific chapter titled "Hooray for Higgins." Notes that Dwight Eisenhower credited four things with helping the Allies win World War II. The Sherman tank, the C-47 transport, the jeep, and 
the Higgins boat. The boats were officially known as Landing Craft, Vehicle, Personnel, or LCVP, but were often called Higgins boats after their inventor, Andrew Higgins. Peace notes that Higgins boats brought more Allied troops and equipment to shore than all other landing craft combined. All these landings were done in open beaches, and none of the sites had wharves or piers that would allow large vessels like troop carriers, which could move only in deep water, to dock and unload. Instead of being forced into attacking a port city that was fortified with heavy artillery, Higgins' boats gave the Allies the ability to move troops from large ships onto an isolated strip of coastline that was easy to invade and hard for the enemy to defend. The ability to land troops by surprise was an advantage the Allies desperately needed. Turned out Andrew Higgins was a New Orleans boat entrepreneur who in the 1920s uh, got to building small craft that could navigate local swamps and bayous. His new company, Higgins Industries, designed boats with protected propellers. His most famous model was the Eureka, which could apparently jump logs, turn within its own length, and run up on a beach without damaging the hull. Peace notes that shallow, its shallow water abilities made it an ideal boat for local trappers, oilmen, and lumbermen, but rum runners were some of his best customers. Higgins designed motorboats that were so fast they could help a smuggler outrun the Coast Guard. By 1937, the Coast Guard and Army Corps of Engineers were purchasing boats from Higgins. Meanwhile, Colonel Holland Smith of the U.S. Marine Corps became interested in developing the Eureka into an amphibious landing craft. Higgins set to work, and soon his boats surpassed the performance of the Navy-designed personnel carriers. But every time he approached the Navy about buying his boats, they turned him away. Turned out Higgins was competing with northern boatyards with long-established ties to the Navy's Bureau of Ships. He was also competing with the Navy itself. The Navy's Bureau of Ships was designing their own landing craft, and naval bureaucrats didn't like being shown up by a small shipbuilder. But notes the piece, Higgins wasn't the man who gave up easily. In 1942, he testified to his Senate committee that his boats were superior to those produced by the Navy. And after an investigation, the committee agreed, and Higgins got a contract to produce LCVPs. It's a heck of a story. On D-Day, there were 1,500 Higgins boats set out to bring the invading force onto shore. D-Day was, of course, the largest single amphibious invasion in history, and despite heavy fire and high casualties, 130,000 troops made it into France. Apparently, after the invasion, Hitler was briefed on the huge Allied landing, and during the explanation of how such a large landing took place without any access to French port cities, Hitler was informed of Higgins and his thousands of LCVPs. Hitler is said to have commented bitterly, Truly, this man is the new Noah. Which notes the piece that just might have been the best compliment that Higgins and his little boat ever got. And on that note, I must say we're out of time, unfortunately. It all goes so quickly. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. We look forward to talking to you again at the same time next week. We're going to have a whole bunch of fun interviews in the weeks to come. You're not going to want to miss them. Tune in. And as we close, we would note that, uh, as it does every year, the Sacramento News and Review likes to uh, poll people in the Sacramento Davis area about their favorite local radio program. And we hope that um, if you have any particular favorites, you'll let the paper know about them, won't you? We were the editor's choice a few years back for the best locally produced radio program, an honor we're delighted to have received. And something we would note sends a message to our radio producers all over 
Northern California about the kind of things people want to hear. If you vote and say you like what this program does and what this station does, that'll be sending a message to producers that they should be serving up similar content. We think that's important. 